Welcome to Corks and Cowtown, where everything is poppin'. Grab your drinks, the show is about to begin. Well, howdy y'all and welcome back to another episode of Corks and Cowtown. It is Halloween time and you know what that means? All the spooky and scary things. <laughs> but here to make things not so spooky and scary, I do have a very exciting guest that I've been dying to meet. And that would be... I'm Lacey Bynack, the co-founder of The Art of Dying, which is a Fort Worth-based um, end-of-life companionship and planning service um, with my partner, Taylor Bell. I'm so excited to have you here. So I already told you that I haven't done a lot of research on you because I saw that you had one of your, what do you call it? The We did host a death cafe recently. It, it was, was our it second. It was at Leaf's uh, Book and Tea Shop. And we actually have a third. Um, we're doing these quarterly. So we have our winter oh. death cafe coming up in December. Okay. Do you have the date? I do. It's Thursday, December 14th. Okay. I believe that's a Thursday. Uh, six o'clock. It's an hour and 15 minutes. And it is really, really cool. I think everyone should participate in this at least once because how often do you have the opportunity to sit in a space where it's okay to talk about death? I think, why do you think there is like still such a stigma to talk about death, even though I feel like we see death 24-7 around us, like on the news? Yeah, I think we see it on the news, we see it on TV, but a lot of us are pretty far removed from experiencing it firsthand, um, especially if you compare to uh, other cultures and other time periods where that was so much more part of people's lives. And um, I hear all kinds of reasons why people have hangups about discussing it. Some people think that talking about it will make it happen, like it's sort of jinxy or um, that, you know, you're going to get a side eye and people are going to be like, oh, get away from me. I don't want to talk about that. So there's a lot of different reasons, but those are a couple of things I hear pretty often. I can imagine. And I do think it's like it's not a fun conversation, obviously, like. I think there's a certain group of us that are probably just very interested because maybe we've experienced it more. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just how I feel. <clears throat> a lot of people that show up to the death cafe. So it's not a uh, it's not a support group or yeah. any kind of grief, you know, bereavement service. It is really just a place to talk about anything that is on people's minds about death and dying. So that does tend to include a lot of people that have experienced mm -hmm. a lot of death in their life um, with their, you know, from childhood on, you know, so I just hear a lot of, I've experienced this a lot and I'm trying to make sense of it. And I just want to talk about it. Like I'm curious about this aspect or I worry about this part or, um, and what's really cool about those conversations is that it takes on a life of its own. So yes. it's not about Taylor and I. It's not about the art of dying. We sort of set up the space and um, we give some ground rules and we just let it go from there. And, and there's some guidelines there, like as far as, um, you know, it's confidential, but anybody in the world can host these death cafes. Yeah. So it's it's in many countries. I want to say 86 different countries. And um, all people have to do is go onto the Death Cafe website. You can learn more about them. You can host your own. You can join virtual death cafes that are happening all the time. 
Okay, so is this a newer concept or when did this like death cafe idea kind of start? I believe it started in 2011. Really? In the UK, it was a, um, well, I don't want to say the names of people because I'll probably get it wrong. That's fine. um, You can find all that info on their website and it's just grown exponentially from there. And there are other models too. There's death salon and there's death over dinner and death over drafts and there's all kinds of these things popping up. They're really common in more progressive areas. Um, And, and that sort of leads back to this has been an interesting business to launch in Fort Worth, Texas, because there just isn't a lot of, um, of death worker, death doulas. Um, People are not familiar with that term. Even people in Palliative care and hospice um, in those spaces don't really know what we're doing. So we've spent a lot of time going and getting in front of these people and just saying, this is what we do. And just so you know, we're here. Okay. So <clears throat> sorry, the allergies are killing me today. Uh-huh. Um, so the majority of people, I think, would know the word doula as far as whenever it comes to women giving birth. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as a death doula, how would you describe that position? That's a really good question. I, I We went back and forth about which term to use um, because you'll hear other terms like death midwife, end of life companion. Um, there's a lot of different ways you could sort of present mm-hmm. it. And the word doula comes from the Greek word that means woman, woman who serves. Oh, and okay. so it is a little gender specific in, you know, if you're looking at the root of the word. Mm-hmm. But um, we chose that word partly because people do know a lot of times what a birth doula is. And maybe that wasn't even true 20 years yeah. ago. Um, but that's become more mainstream. We hope that this will become more mainstream because it's something that I think people really could use the additional support. And there are a lot of parallels between birth doulas and death doulas. Um, I will say one thing that is uh, different is that a birth doula, the whole point is that they're there at the time of a birth. Yeah. And for us, we're doing a lot more with a client ahead of time, Mm -hmm. planning, you know, having these conversations. We can get into kind of that part of it later, but um, we may or may not be there at the time of that someone actually dies. Okay. But the goal is that at that point, they're more, um, they're in a better position and have more of what they want incorporated into that and that their loved ones are a little more um, prepared as well emotionally. You know, this is all non-medical, everything that we're doing. So we want people to feel more supported um, in a holistic way, not just looking at the medical part okay, of death. So I was going to ask you like what you would say the biggest difference between y'all and like hospices. Mm-hmm. So would you say it's like the medical side, yes. but also now whenever say someone contacts you versus I guess maybe hospice, which I know um, will incorporate different religious aspects as well. Is that something y'all are willing to do as well? Or is that something that you're removed from? Um, we definitely do not bring a religious philosophy into our work. Okay. I mean, is, is that more, kind of what you're yeah, asking? Yeah, yeah. Taylor and I both have our faiths that sort of inform us in our work, but we don't bring that in. Okay. Um, a huge part of our approach to this is meeting people where they are. So, oh, okay. I like that. We're not, you know, if someone is, that's not a, a part of what they need support with is the spiritual aspect, then mm-hmm. we're not going to bring that in okay. to the conversation. Um, and, you know, 
a lot of we we are diligent about trying to um, educate ourselves about different faiths so that we can support that. But as far as um, the difference between that uh, and hospice, you know, a lot of hospice, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at, a lot of hospice, th- they bring in a chaplain. A chaplain mm-hmm. is part of their interdisciplinary team. And in my opinion, well, I think actually it should be this way that a chaplain is not um, – you know, having an agenda toward a certain mm-hmm. religion, but that's not always, yeah. that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are huge proponents of hospice. Um, we can help sometimes when we're working with a client, they're not on hospice yet. And so we can kind of help with that, help them find a hospice that aligns more with with their values and what they're wanting. Um, so we, we kind of try to bridge some of those gaps for people and also... Uh, you know, dispel some myths around hospice Mm -hmm. um, because people tend to get on hospice pretty late, which is unfortunate, um, missing out on a lot of the benefits. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, I feel like we need to backtrack a little bit and that's my fault, but why, what are some of the reasons and like points where someone would start to contact you and ask for assistance? Uh, I love that question because this is one thing that we are really trying to be clear about, which is it's never too early. Okay. Um, But sometimes it is pretty late where we're not able to do as much. So we have services for everyone. So for people that are young, healthy, you know, not dealing with a medical diagnosis, um, we do help people to get a head start on their end-of-life plans. And that can be a really fascinating journey in itself. Um, So we offer this art of pre-planning, which we bring a binder and we kind of walk people through, like, here's what you might want to, like, you probably need to do this ASAP. Mm -hmm. And usually that's more the paperwork and stuff like that. And we can guide people through that. But then we have, that's one section of the binder. And there's four other sections where we're helping people to think a little beyond that. Um, to, you know, things that are important to them in their life that they may want to be doing now. So what would something, like, can you give me some examples of what your version of, like, pre-planning would be? Because I know I told you that we had an estate attorney on, Devorah, mm-hmm. and she was amazing talking about how, obviously, you need to have your will, medical directives, and things like that set up ahead of time because she says only 40% of people actually have a will. Yeah. And I think that that number was... I think that's even high. Yeah, and I was like, that number kind of shocked me, but then... And at the same time, she was like, how often do you and your friends talk about death? And I was like, I mean, I'm willing to talk about it all the time, but a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about it and like their end of life plans. And I know that so many of us, like I've told my friends how I want to like be buried and whatnot versus cremated just based on my personal experiences. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting to me because this is something that every single time I unfortunately have had a friend need to go through something like this, they're always just like, it's so much when it's not pre-planned. Yes. So I was like, what would some like pre-planning aspects be on y'all's end that you help people with? Sure. Well, and that's such a big part of it is like a lot of people that have thought about what they would want, it's not documented anywhere. And the people that need that info don't have it. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of help follow through and like is, you know, is is everything where some the person who needs it would be able to find. Yes. And so part of that is um, like the logistics. Like um, if I died tomorrow, would my husband know what accounts I own? Mm -hmm. It used to be that, you know, you're getting mail coming in. 
in and you can kind of see in the mailbox what is and everything's open like online now. Stuff. Everything's online. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that he could get into my devices and anything so like that passwords, he might need. Yeah, so that's, a, like that. that's okay. a whole section mm-hmm. that we worked really hard on making sure that it's not overwhelming, but it does include everything. Yeah. And then there are some other parts that are more fun. So okay. like um, some people might be interested in having a, a, a living wake or mm-hmm. writing an ethical will or mm-hmm. doing a legacy project, having a dinner party, having certain travel things happen for them. And of course, those get more difficult by the time yeah. people kind of go, oh, shoot, I, you know, I have a limited, a life limiting illness now. And that's really hard. Um, so we kind of, we kind of get people thinking more about those things because that really helps people understand what their values are. And if you understand more about what your values are, you're going to have a more full life all mm-hmm. the way through the end. So yeah. that's kind of a big piece is like, how can we help people to really live well all the way to, through the end of life? And, um, Another section is the final, we call it the final bow, which is more okay. of like your funeral, like what do you want to happen to yes. your body? And that was, uh, yeah, I think if you were just walking down the street asking people that question, you'd get a lot of, I want to be cremated. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, are you going to? <laughs> yeah, also yeah. now. There's a lot, yeah, there's a of, lot of options there's a, now. No, there's a lot of options. There's some really exciting new options that mm-hmm. are much more green options um, like aquamation and recomposition. Well, wait, what's aquamation? So aquamation is also called alkaline hydrolysis, and it's a procedure. Procedure. It's a technique <laughs> where... Um, they use water and it breaks down the body really, really fast. And it uses it creates a much lower carbon footprint than cremation. Um, they actually use it on a lot of pet cremation, and we just don't even know about it. Um, we kind of assume that it's always cremation, but they are using I'm now. sorry. I'm like very <laughs> fascinated by this because all I can think of, and this is probably morbid, is like just a body in water being like hit with like pressure jets. Um, I think it's a little more scientific. <laughs> I'm sure it yeah. is. But Actually, like, what... that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I just need to know more because that's all I can think but, about. Okay, So the mental image that I have, yeah. which is also inaccurate, <laughs> is um, when I was a teenager at the mall where everyone would hang out. That little water. Water beds. Yes. Well, they yes. had the beds that you could yes. lay in, and it was and like it had massage. The, like, yes. Yeah, it's not that either. No. <laughs> That's the thing is, like, you hear something, and you're just like, what's that? And you create this idea mm-hmm. in your brain, and I just know that can't be it, but I need to know more. Yeah. <laughs> so that option right now is um, tied up in legislation. It's not legal in Texas right now. Really? Um, but it is legal in a lot of other states. And then uh, recomposition is a really exciting option as well, which the closest— Recompose uh, facility is in Colorado. So what you know, if that? you were if you were looking for a green option, you wouldn't want to f- have your body flown to Colorado to have. Okay. This. <laughs> it wouldn't really make sense. Okay, but like, what's but recomposition? It, is, um, it turns your body into soil, like within a very short period of time, and then the uh, family members can or whoever is is taking over the cremains can come and get this. I forget how much soil. 
um, you get back, but you could just plant it in a garden. Uh, you could put it in. They have a forest that they can you, you can utilize their like spaces yeah. that they've created specifically for that. Interesting. Um, and again, like a much lower carbon footprint. Also. Well, I know that now you can also be like turned into fireworks or a tree and all types yes. of other things. And th- so that's after cre- cremation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting to me because I think a lot of people like we can like joke about it in a sense. But the thing is like, no, literally, how do you want to be like cremated? Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are leaning towards that option. I want to be traditionally buried. And I know that that's like kind of against everything nowadays, but that's also based on the circumstance that whenever my mom was cremated, I ate part of her when we were scattering her ashes. So I don't want anyone to eat me. So like accidentally, because it was like, just not it. (laughs) So, and like, I can laugh about it now, but it's also like, I wouldn't want to put anyone through that trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think it just like, I just put me in the ground. You can come visit me if you need a place to like escape, like have a little, put me under a tree and, like, make it just, like, a little thing yeah. if you need, like, an escape. So it's just interesting to me that people are choosing these other options. And especially that I wonder is, like, is it more for them or for the families? What do you think is, like, your burial? Like, the way people decide what to do with their remains, do you think it's more for them or for their families? That's a good question. And it, that might be different from person to person. Mm-hmm. Um I also want to be tr- buried. Okay. And there's one green burial uh, cemetery in all of DFW. Really? So you know. Where? <laughs> it's called Mountain Creek Barkway. Okay. It's in like south of 20, kind of in that Duncanville okay. area. Okay, yeah. Anyway, we can talk yeah, about that Yeah, later. absolutely. Uh, so I think that like for me... I don't have really strong opinions about it. I I want to be buried this way. But, you know, if my husband was, for whatever reason, was just like, you know what, that's for what, maybe it's causing undue stress in the family or whatever. I don't care. Yeah. That, it's not for me. Yeah. That's my preference, but I'm not going to be around. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have a strong. I think that's <laughs> one of the things too is like, eventually you have to think is like, you're just, well, depending on, I guess, the way you look at it and your background is like, at that point, it's just a body. Like, it's literally just a body. It's not necessarily, like, maybe a soul. And so I know a lot of people have discussed it that way. I know there's also, I want to say it's in Texas, there's, like, a body farm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, isn't that where they, like, train people for, like, to find bodies? Forensic. Yes, forensics. Yeah. Forensic um, development. Then there, we tried to, (laughs) Taylor and I tried to get them to let us come and tour the facility. And they're like, yeah, we don't do that. Really? I would <laughs> want to. it's such a controlled environment. Oh, okay. I can um, see that. But yeah, they're they're learning about how the body decomposes yeah. outside versus in this element versus, you know. All oh, I'm sure also things. Texas is great for like extreme elements. Yeah. So that's interesting to me. It is interesting. And so for people, this comes back to the values. So if yeah. for you, um, one of your really high priorities is... Um, is education and research, then that might be an option that is like more donating your body to, to like you. science, donating your yeah. body to science, whether it's whole body donation mm-hmm. to a certain to a certain school or something like that, because you're interested in, um, you know, that can kind of get into criminology, like helping mm-hmm. people find bodies and in, in that people have been that have been murdered. So, yeah. um, you know, and when we start asking these questions, it's interesting what comes up mm-hmm. for people. I think it's, I don't know. I was like, I think this is something I could just talk about forever because I'm so fascinated by it. But I agree with that is it's just, I guess, 
I don't know. I feel like some people just don't even think about it till like the very end, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as to like what percentage of people are interested now in like pre-planning. So have you seen like an uptick in people that pre-plan or is it still like pretty steady or what do you think? Or does it have anything to do like with demographics, like age and sex and anything else? Um, The biggest uh, discrepancy in the numbers as far as people that are you know, how many people are pre-planning and, and we're just talking about the basics, yeah. getting the advanced directive mm-hmm. finalized and, um, you know, preferably a, a last will and testament, yeah. but at least the advanced directive, which is just the medical yeah. aspects. Um, the biggest difference there is the African-American community does have a lot lower numbers than okay. even, than even just the general, you know, overall population. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that there's probably multiple factors for that. Um, I would be curious to see, I think it's going to take longer for us to see an uptick Mm -hmm. in people that are, are doing this kind of, um, work for themselves as far as getting their affairs in order. Um, it, it's in the last few years, there's been a huge increase in, people going through death doula training. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about that. Why are there so many more people interested in this work? Kind of all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, You'll, you'll find doulas that have been doing this work for, you know, five, eight, 10, 12 years, but the numbers are just crazy. It's just in the last few years. I mean, does it pay well? No. (laughs) Okay. So that's interesting too then. Well, I should say, it's it's difficult. There may be where it's more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a different situation. I can't really speak to that. But uh, somewhere where it, it's not well known, um, like here in Fort Worth, it's difficult to have a, like a steady flow of clients. Um, it's kind of up and down and all around. And a lot of a lot of people doing this work because you might call it like heart work. Yeah. And or it's a calling or it's and a lot of people undercharge for that kind of work. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot they probably going feel like on they're doing there. like a service mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. yeah. And also it's uh, hard to it's all pr- it's all out of pocket pay. None of this type of work is covered through Medicare. Mm-hmm. So even if a hospice brought a death doula on staff, they're not getting reimbursed for that. So there's not oh, many wow. hospices that okay. want to do that for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it a little bit harder for just the average person to have access to it. Now, I get I just have so many questions and I'm trying to think of like the best place to go next. What is the training for a death doula? I guess. The training is, um, so this is unregulated at at this point. And I think that's a good thing because that keeps uh, people that are doing this work in their community that have always been doing this work for their neighbors, for their church members, their family, whatever, from being disenfranchised from doing it. Uh, We'll see if that changes. Um, But right now it's unregulated. So there's not a national or regional accrediting body. Okay. Now, it's recommended that if you are hiring a death doula that you want someone who has been trained. And so, like, and who, I, who's doing the training? There are schools all okay. around that do the training. So I did my training um, during the pandemic, and it was um, through a company called Going With Grace, which is based out in L.A., 
And Taylor did her training here locally with Care Doula. So there are a lot of different training programs. Um, people just have to kind of vet them themselves to make sure that they're quality training. And then you're certified through that school. Okay, gotcha. Um, I guess if you hadn't known about this and you were on the outside looking in, what do you think the biggest difference is between, say, you and maybe like hospice or a chaplain? Like, why would you pick one versus the other? Um, well, I we could never begin to replace what a hospice and a mm-hmm. disciplinary team is doing. I mean, it's invaluable. Um, they're in that case. In, and I knew a little bit about hospice beforehand, um, just from family members and things like that. Um, some really wonderful people work. So you've got a chaplain and a social mm-hmm. worker, a nurse, a doctor, sometimes even additional, you know, pet therapy and different things coming in. We are able to spend as as doulas, we're able to spend a lot more time one on one with people. So in in the case of hospice, they may be coming in, you may only see the chaplain one time. Or you might not see yeah. them at all. Or you might see, um, you know, the aide is probably the most common person coming in, but the social worker you know, may have an hour with you or 30 minutes or whatever it is. So we're able to spend a lot more time on the ground with people okay, and uh, really kind of look at all the elements mm-hmm. as far as like what's going on for you emotionally, spiritually. Um, we have some comfort and care measures that we are able to bring as well, which you're generally not going to get much of that through hospice. Mm-hmm. So that's, those are kind of the main differences on the outside looking in. Uh, and I don't, I mean, I didn't even know that death doula was a thing prior yeah. to 2020. Um, so when I heard about it, <laughs> I thought I read this article on CNN or something and I thought there's a name for that. That's kind of what I do. And I've ended up mm-hmm. in these situations with family and friends um, being at the deathbed and and there's just something really, um, I don't know, I feel sort of uniquely drawn to that mm-hmm. as far as being comfortable in that environment and really like jumping into action. Not that's that action. No, action, but, but I feel like that's very I'm important. I'm like awake. <laughs> no, I was like, I feel like that that's important because in that moment, so many people are like vulnerable and for you to be able to like step into that position because I know with so many of like my friends and personally, you're just trying to go through the motions and you aren't really able to be present. And I feel like what you're doing for people is probably allowing them to like be present Mm -hmm. in the moment and what's going on. Yeah. That's a big part of what we're doing is, um, you know, before we walk into a room with someone, just leaving all of our expectations at the door. Mm -hmm. We, we are not there to tell anyone how to do anything. We don't have an agenda. Mm-hmm. We want people to be more present. Um, and the person who is dying is the expert. Yeah. We're not the expert. And we learn so much from the people that we're honored to be with at the yeah. end of their life. So it's really a neat um, experience. And, and people ask all the time, and I may be jumping the gun here if you were going to ask this, but isn't it sad to be in these environments a lot? And you know, it's different when it's not your family member. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not grieving in the same yeah. manner at all that someone else would be that is really close with us. I'm more able to kind of come in, like you said, and be, um, uh, there's a lot of listening to intuition. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of 
I feel know, like you're like the calm to the chaos. Yeah. It's and an anchor. It even is. If yeah. We're not, even if we're not actively doing something, mm-hmm. um, we're there as a witness. We're there. Or like as, a presence mm-hmm. just to like know that if you need something, someone's there. Yes. Um, so whenever you are, what do you, I'd want to like use right terminology. So the person that's passing, what do you call them? Like, would you say like the patient? Would you say, I mean, I have like, what, what would you refer to them as? So we would refer to that person as the client. Okay. The client. Okay. And, uh, we were pretty careful about how we say that just because I was going to say, cause it feels like it's just a client's mm, when you're exchanging money. Yes. And, um, so, you know, we might say, uh, the person with the terminal diagnosis. Well, mm-hmm. there's not. See, we can't find the right words. Yeah, that's for the thing is, I was like, I don't feel like there's terminal. a right word. <laughs> that's so true. So. And I guess the reason I ask is because, say, obviously you're there for them, but I feel like also you're probably there for the family as well, mm-hmm. because I feel like that's I would I would feel like that's part of like the little circle that you're in is like you're also going to be there for them to comfort as well. Is that true? Yes, or that's true. And and. E- even if we think of it as we're we're there to serve the client, mm-hmm. well, the client is not in a vacuum. Yeah, there's this whole circle of care, mm-hmm. and so we're there to support that and to, um, you know, help facilitate communication yeah. and logistics and things like that, and also even sometimes practical things like providing some respite for the family members, which is also something hospice does. Yeah, but. Um, there was something I was going to circle back to. Sorry. <laughs> There's so many of those I know. at this and point. It, it's, it's so hard because like, I feel like obviously we have a limited amount of time for this, but there's so many questions I have and like I'd honestly almost like to walk through it myself mm-hmm. just because I want to see what all you get into. Yeah. And so I feel like maybe let's do that on another episode. I think that great. Um, but let's circle back to the death cafe okay. because I feel like that's something that if people are questioning, wanting more information. I feel like that would probably be a good place to start. I feel like jumping in and being like, oh yeah, I need to take care of everything might be a little scary to some, Mm -hmm. but I feel like if they come to one of these death cafes that maybe it will be like an open door. Yeah. Sort of. It sparks something. And uh, one thing I did also want to say is you asked earlier, when is the right time for someone to reach out to us? Mm -hmm. And I kind of got into the early, early end of life planning stuff. Uh, but I did want to say, too, that um, if, if someone has a terminal, receives a terminal diagnosis, like reach out to us. Because yeah. even if we don't uh, work with them really closely, we may have some resources or something for them. Okay, that so, would be good to know. So, yeah, we, we would say earlier rather than mm-hmm. later. Um, and then as far as... What was the last question that you Just asked? asking about like more about the death cafe. Oh, yes. So anyone who's maybe like on the fence or like scared to kind of like start this process, mm-hmm. like I feel like that would be a good like foot in the door. Yeah. Um, is what does it cost anything to come? Good question. It's totally free. Okay. Uh, we do provide. So one of the main criteria of death cafe is that you have refreshments and cake. <laughs> Honestly, necessary <laughs> everywhere. So. I think so. It helps. It helps. It really a lot does. For some reason. Yeah. So um, we do have, we're really, really lucky to have leaves because uh, the owner They're there, awesome. yes, she opens the space for us after closing. So oh, it's a, okay. So good. it's kind of a closed, I mean, you know, anyone can come and you don't have to RSVP. Some okay. of them you do. We've tried to make it as easy as possible so yeah. people can just 
no, well, also no that pressure, way people no are like on the fence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's last really minute. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I operate. If I can go with the last minute, I'll go. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, it's a free event. Um, there's no criteria. I think that's a great way to jump in to at least being getting the wheels turning a little bit. Another really good way is our art of pre planning because, and maybe this is something you and I can do. So that's a forty. Five minute. I mean, it's not a big undertaking. Okay. And then when when we've kind of walked through some stuff, you have a better idea. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to prepare for it or have you don't have to have everything in order before we. Does meet. it just kind of like get the wheels yes, flowing? So absolutely. you're like starting to think about things. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the other thing that I wanted to bring up that I know we discussed prior is that you said you're obviously not a professional counseling service. You cannot give legal advice or anything else. And I think that that's important to know because obviously don't want you, first of all, getting in trouble for anything. But then also people need to know that can you provide resources for those types of situations? We have worked pretty extensively on our referral network. Okay. So um, because we're so careful to stay in our lane mm-hmm. for multiple reasons, A, so we don't get That's in trouble, important. but B, many people don't do that anymore. <laughs> so we can say, you know, this is what we really are good at. Yeah. And we've focused on this, on, you know, this area, which is pre-planning, companionship, support, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So um, as much as we would like to be able to do all these other things, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we refer out. And these are references that, and since the, your audience is probably mostly Fort Worth based, um, these are like people that we know or okay. that have a really good reputation in the so community. So they're definitely like vetted mm-hmm. and everything else. It's not That's just good. Google search. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we don't need that. No, we definitely don't and need that. And that referral network, I mean, that includes all kinds. Co- the things that people need, like every situation is so different. Oh, it's so and different. Sometimes it's professional organizers and yeah. sometimes it's, um, you know, a chef prepared meals mm-hmm. that they can really customize that are delivered to them because that's all they can handle right then. Or it could be more of the state law, you know, more of mm-hmm. that or, you know, grief counselors is a big yeah. one as well. So. So we kind of have that at the ready for any situation. No, that's amazing. And we've worked really hard on that referral mm-hmm. network. I think that that's, I, I don't know. I was like, I have a friend who recently lost a parent and hearing how she's had to like navigate that. And also it, it's crazy because especially like you, you pretty much always know like your parent, one of your parents is going to pass before you, but you're just not prepared for it, regardless of what age that happens. And then you just don't think about all those tiny things Mm -hmm. like where is, you know, the car title? Like where is this? Like because it's not in say the other parent's name and like say one parent took care of literally everything and the other just kind of skirted by. You're just like where is all that stuff Mm -hmm. just like you said and like passwords and I don't know. It's just insane to me because these are like such simple things in a sense I feel like that if you just had them written down somewhere in like a binder, it'd be so easy to just yeah. be like, okay, I got this. Like, let's knock it out. So and it turns easy. into something huge <laughs> yeah. and it turns into stress on everybody. And especially if you have any family like out of state, if, you know, maybe you don't have the same last names, if someone's married or something, you're missing one piece of like legal doc, like documentation. It's just crazy to me mm-hmm. because it can literally run everything. Well, you almost, in those cases, people turn into part-time detectives yes. trying to track this stuff down. And it and causes so much unnecessary stress. Mm-hmm. So much stress at a time when, you know, those that it's grieving is, um, it's work. 
I mean, it's it's energetically, it's hard. And so to have to be dealing with that kind of stuff when you are grieving is such an, an, it's such an added layer that we don't want for people. No. And we've seen it go both ways. And, um, you know, one of the inspirations for even starting this business was Taylor's mother who passed away. Um, I believe she was 52. So she was pretty oh. young and she, uh, she died of adrenal cancer and she had a lot of time to kind of prepare and she did such a phenomenal job of getting her things in order mm-hmm. um, that Taylor just was so blessed by that because she was able to focus on herself and grieving and honoring her mother and everything was thought of, you know. Yeah. And so we've we've used some of that as uh, inspiration for the binder and for just not coming at people with this is going to be terrible if you don't do this, but like mm-hmm. what a gift it is if you do. Yeah. And so that's really part of the message that we want to give people. And like you said, I mean, it, you can write that step down. I mean, you can go through that logistics section of the binder in one sitting in yeah. 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that might take someone a very long time. Instead of like digging out. through a room, just like you said, is one of the things is like a professional organizer. I could give you recommendations for some of those too. Um, I think that that's a huge thing because you don't think about going through someone's home. And especially if like, say your parents are older and they live somewhere else and like the years of accumulated belongings. And then all of a sudden you have to like maybe bring up a lot of old memories when you're already stressed out and grieving. Decisions. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just so much. Have you ever heard of Swedish death cleaning? No. What's that? So there's a TV show. I think it's on Peacock. It's uh, this method of cleaning that is really like with your death in mind. Okay. And it goes beyond just the normal, let me clean out the closets. Yeah. And um, I haven't watched it yet, but I've been hearing that word. Do you know what it's called? I think it's called... It's the only show that has the word (laughs) Swedish death cleaning in it. (laughs) I can tell you that. It was okay. easy to find when I did a Google search for it. So I need to I've watch been wanting it. to check that out because I keep hearing that word floated around. Yeah. I guess is it like purging and cleaning with like purpose? Mm-hmm. Huh. But really with the end in mind of thinking about if if your child had to come, your adult child had to come through and yeah. clean all this stuff out. Yeah. Oh, I can, I, I like think about that now because I, my mom passed when I was young and I still have so much of her stuff, but like I've done that with her stuff is like I've gone through and tried to be intentional about what I've kept and what I've let go. But then at the same time, you just hold on to things. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, then if when it's my turn, people are going to be like, why do you have this? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the purpose? People make interesting decisions yeah. when they're having to do that um, after a death of a close yeah. family member. I've, I've seen it go both ways where it's like, I'm going to just throw away everything. And then two years later, they're kicking themselves that they did that. Mm-hmm. It, it There's some... You know, there's some general advice around waiting a little bit of time. How much time do you think? I don't, I don't know. It's uh, just someone's opinion. Yeah. Who knows? It's probably based on what they wish they would have done afterwards. Oh Hindsight's twenty twenty. But I think that um, some people go the other way where they just, they don't want to look at it and they just mm-hmm. let things sit and sit. And mm-hmm. for me, that would be stressing me out. 1000% same. <laughs> I like per any, so I'm, I'm moving tomorrow actually and I'm very excited, but I do the same thing is like anytime I move, I'm like, it's time to purge everything. 
and I go through room by room and I just get rid of stuff like drawer by drawer. And I'm like, do you need this? Do you? And it's so hard. Like you have those conversations with yourself and you still end up with so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I can't imagine someone else just having to go through my random stuff and be like, Not why even did knowing, she keep this? Yes, what is Exactly. This? <laughs> They'd be like, what is this? Like, what's the purpose? It's so strange yeah. to me to think about. Another aspect that is so important um, that's part of our binder, but I, anybody could do this on their own, is writing down, uh, maybe just start with 10 items that okay. are in your house. And if you just sort of sit and think about it, these things will pop up like, oh, you know, go room by room and think about what you have that's sentimental, doesn't have monetary value mm-hmm. and write it down and write down who you want to have it and why. Oh, I it's love that. It's such a sweet little yeah. exercise. And just throw it in your, you know, if you have a folder started or yeah. if you have a binder. And I was amazed at... um really following through on some of these thoughts. Like, for example, I am a journaler. I've journaled forever. I don't really, I'm very specific about who I would want to have those journals. Yes. I don't really want my spouse to read them. I don't really want my daughter. So I have load, you know, have um, written down which friend I want to have those. Yeah. And then maybe until this age, then my daughter could get them. Oh, okay. So I've thought through some of these things Mm -hmm. in in a way that um, I just think would be really special. And then also, sometimes you might receive something from someone, but you don't really know what the story is behind it. Yeah. So writing that kind of stuff down is really uh, is a really great gift to have just in your paperwork. I think that's I think that's a great idea, especially the like why you would want them to have Mm -hmm. it. I think that's huge because a lot of people. Actually, my friend Henry, who's been on the podcast multiple times, he brought up a question and I'll ask it to you is like, say you're kidnapped, but on your birthday every year, you're allowed a five minute phone call Mm -hmm. to one person. Who are you calling? Oh, my goodness. And why? And I was like, oh, and I knew my answer immediately. But it makes you think about who and why. Because like for me, I... <clears throat> knew who it was, but I knew it was because she would need it mm-hmm. over anybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's just the importance of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just such a, I don't know. I think we need to talk about it more. <laughs> I do too. And, you know, that's where letter writing comes in really handy. Mm-hmm. Um, no one writes letters. I, if you have kids. We get emails. And you would want them to have things when they're older. Yeah. Um, I'm a grandmother. I have a three-year-old granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So I have written things to her. Like if something happened to me, I would want you to know who I am. I would want to oh, be yeah. able to speak things directly to her mm-hmm. in a way that I can't really do right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I have two children, 22 and um, 15. So yeah. different things that I would want to say to them at different points in their life. Yep. And so I've, you know, been jotting that kind oh my of stuff gosh, down. Yeah. Those are good ages too. Mm-hmm. Like everything changes the older you get too. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. One of my uh, girlfriends, actually, as soon as she had her first daughter, she started her an email like account and she sends her emails I and then she's going to give her the password They're one day in one spot. Yep. And then she'll get the password one day. I think she said whenever she turns 18 and I was like, that's such a cool idea yeah. to just be like, here's like emails from birth to 18. Like that's so crazy. And I know a lot of people do that in like journals and other things, but I don't know. I think it was just a unique thing to have. Cause also she's going to need an email address. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like the email dra- addresses are disappearing at a rapid rate. <laughs> So I love that. Um, Tell me where, if people are more interested, obviously we've like barely scratched the surface. Mm -hmm. 
So how can people learn more about you? What's your social media? What's your website? What's the best way to get in contact with you? And then can you give the date for the Death Cafe again? Sure. So we have every bit of information you could want, I think, on our website. We've worked really hard on that and making it easy to navigate. It is theartofdyingfw.com. Okay. So check that out. Um, We have some free resources there. We have all of our services, kind of our background story and how we got into, you know, all kinds of things. Um, And then the social media accounts are um, Instagram and Facebook. Um, Instagram handle is at the art of dying FW. And um, Taylor does a really great job with that. As Mm -hmm. you've seen, there's fun little you know, we're keeping it light and yeah. the stories, there's always fun little stories that pop up pr- every day, at least yeah. once a day. And um, we keep our posts updated with kind of behind the scenes stuff and any events that are coming up. So that's an easy way to keep up with what we're doing. Uh, the next Death Cafe is Thursday, December 14th at 6 p.m. at Leaves Book and Tea Shop, which if you haven't checked out Leaves, it is so cute. It's it really on St. Louis Avenue. Uh, it's all kinds of tea, every tea you could possibly imagine. And then, uh, sometimes if you're lucky sweets, but we will make sure we have (laughs) sweets for the death cafe. (laughs) I love that. On the 14th. Um, I do want to ask one more question about the death cafe and just because I want people to be prepared. Do you feel like the death cafe is very educational versus emotional or a combination or one versus the other? Um, I would say it's really neither. It's not really meant for any kind of education. Okay. Um, And what was the other? I'd say like very emotional emotional. because that's the thing is I feel like to have these conversations, you also need to be in a good place mentally. Um, because I feel like otherwise it could trigger certain mm-hmm. things. And I was expecting a lot more of that when okay. we started yeah. them. Um, that hasn't happened really. There's okay. been a couple of times where someone is obviously, you know, it's a difficult story that they're touching on something that happened to them, but it's really more around curiosity. Okay. So people come in like, I'm just thinking about this aspect and, uh, and then other people, it's, it just really kind of takes on a life of its own because the mm-hmm. the the people that are there are so different from each yeah. other, and yet we all kind of have these same questions. Yeah, well, we're all going to go through it yeah. at some point. So and everyone has different background experiences, and I mean, um, it's fun to watch the back and forth. But you don't need any kind of preparation or anything to come in. Um, we basically set it up with here's what to expect. And then we go around and have people say, you know, what brought you here? Mm-hmm. And that alone sometimes sparks a lot of conversation. Uh, we do tell people ahead of time, you know, if if there's something difficult that comes up and you need to step away, step away. Yeah. It's no big deal. Like take care of yourself. And, you know, we just always want to respect the person speaking and then, you know, do whatever we need to do for ourselves. So yeah, I have not seen it get out of hand yet. (laughs) Yet. Who knows? (laughs) I was like with the holidays coming up, who knows? Um, Now, is it hosted by just you and Taylor or do you have other resources that are available there for people as well? So we do tell people that if they need further resources, especially around like grief Mm -hmm. um, support groups and things like that to come to us after. Okay. Uh, But right now it's, it's us hosting it. Okay. Um, if someone, I didn't know if it was like a panel or what. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
No. And, and if someone else at some point wanted to take it over, you know, that yeah. would be okay too, because we have lots of things that we are wanting to do in the future too, as far as like community events and stuff like oh, that. Oh, absolutely. I feel like this is just so needed and I'm so thankful for you being here and learning just, I mean, we, I, we literally barely scratched the surface. I feel like I got here five minutes ago. I know. I was like, I feel, I don't know. I was like, it does, it did go by really fast. Um, yeah, I just, I definitely want to do this again. I feel like this is a good place to stop so people can ask questions. I know I still have a million questions mm -hmm. and, um, I would love yeah. to know what people are curious about. I know. And same. Because I feel like some people, maybe the death cafe would be scary for them to come ask it in person. Mm -hmm. And I want, I'd, I'm happily a platform to ask the hard questions mm -hmm. to someone. So yeah, I was like, I guess until next time. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much for coming. You're I'm welcome. so happy. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank y'all so much for listening. And until next time, cheers.